Hey, welcome to Sunday Messages. We pray this message inspires and encourages you to go deeper in an overflowing relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. We are continuing in our series entitled Joseph. As we sort of look at his life as a case study of someone who knew who he was and chose to go all in in that call, in that call for God. When we look at the story of Joseph, we understand that Joseph's story reveals God's faithfulness on full display and that it emphasizes our goal to remain obedient to God even in the hardest times. And here is the line, as faithful witnesses. As faithful witnesses. If you did your homework this week, you realize that Joseph's story is not one that just goes straight up to success, but it's actually full of ups and down, starting in, in verse 37, chapter 37 of Genesis, all the way to chapter 50, from, thir- from 17 to 30, we see that his journey goes up and down. Last week, we focused in on this part of the story in Genesis 39, where Joseph had to overcome temptation of power and sex and despair, understanding the big idea was that you can't abandon the principles of God and maintain the blessings from God. This week, we're going to fast forward, and we're going to zoom in on the moment that Joseph, who is now governor, is reunited with his brothers, who sold him into slavery and told his father that he was dead. So hopefully you read the story. Hopefully you understood kind of the journey that we're in. There's so much in this story. I wish we could, you know, dive into every detail, but if you didn't get a chance to read the story, or maybe you're just tuning in for the first time this week. Can I, I'll just give you a synopsis, and I'm going to tell you what, I am going to rush through this story. This story is incredibly detailed. There's a lot of conversations and nuances that I really would love for you to read on your own, but for the sake of kind of getting us on the same page today, I'm just going to kind of push through this story, and so we all kind of understand the context in which Joseph is responding to his brothers. So last week, if you were with us, we talked about how Joseph was accused by Potiphar's wife. Again, Potiphar was the commander of the guard, the commander-in-chief, and he was his assistant. Potiphar's wife uh, kind of invited him into bed, and he refused, and she didn't like that, so she accused him of doing the opposite, and then he was then thrown in prison by Potiphar, but in prison he gained favor with the prison guard. This is because the Lord was with Joseph. In prison, he's now in the king's prison, not just another prison, but the king's prison. And in the king's prison, two of the king's servants are then sent to prison, the baker and the cupbearer. And while they're in prison, they have these dreams. They have dreams, and they don't know what they mean. And Joseph, who is in prison and the Lord is with them, interpret their dreams, and both of their dreams to become True, the first dream of the baker, he ends up dying as his dream indicated, and the cupbearer is reinstated back into his position, and so the dreams unfold and the realities unfold. Mind you, the cupbearer is now in his position, and Joseph is still in prison, forgotten for two years. Until the day that Pharaoh himself has a dream that none of his magicians and enchanters and and, and wise men can interpret. And then the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And so they go and they call Joseph and they they present him before Pharaoh. And, And in that moment, he is able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. 
He is then promoted uh, as governor of Egypt because he is the wisest of the wise, and only to second, only second to Pharaoh. Then they go through seven years of plenty of abundance, and Joseph is managing the abundance and storing, getting ready for seven years of famine or seven years of lack. And so in the but during these seven years of abundance, we see that Joseph is married, Joseph has two children, and his family line is being established. Enter into now the two years or the first two years of the famine, and now in this part of the story, we're reintroduced to Joseph's brothers. And we pick up the story in Genesis 42. So we just went through four chapters. Just so you know, that was four chapters of Genesis. So you need to read that on your own. But as we jump into 42, we see that his 10 of his brothers now, so there's 12 of them total, Joseph being one, and Benjamin, the youngest brother, so Joseph's uh, youngest brother, there's, there's 12 of them total, but 10 of them, the 10 oldest, make their way from Canaan to Egypt to buy grain. And when they get to Egypt, Joseph recognizes the, his brothers, but his brothers do not recognize him. Can you imagine uh, Joseph probably looked like an Egyptian? He probably, he obviously dressed in royal garb. Mind you, his brothers, they sold him off to slavery. At best, he was a slave. At worst, he was dead. They, they had no idea what happened to him after they didn't see him any longer. They were not even imagining that he would be the governor of Egypt. But in this moment, Joseph is sort of testing their heart, and he, and he accuses them of being spies, to which they obviously say, no, 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 we, we are not spies. And, and they demand that in order for him, them to prove that they aren't spies, is they need to go home and bring the youngest brother, Benjamin, back to prove that they weren't spies. And in doing so, they're going to have to hold Simeon, one of the other brothers, in prison as sort of a hostage in the process. And this is sort of, we're going to jump into the story. Hopefully you caught that. Hopefully you're on the same page, but we're going to jump into the story. Genesis 42, verse 21. And here's this moment of, of where they are, there's, they're being presented to each other. They are at his mercy. And here's how the brothers respond. They say to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life but we would not listen. And that's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account for his blood. As I was reading this part of the story, I was fascinated by this reality that after 20 Two years, okay? This is, if you do the math, you add it all, there was about 22 years of time from the moment they, he was sold into slavery to this, re this re-encounter with his brothers. After 22 years, can you imagine the level of guilt that they would have carried? Come on now. The level of guilt and shame that was weighing on their heart, that the very first thing that they could think of that explains why they are being mistreated or why they are being falsely accused is something they did 22 years ago. Like, I don't even remember what I did two weeks ago. But these guys, in a moment of distress, in a moment of resistance, in a moment of false accus uh, accusation, they are reminded immediately of what they did 22 years ago. And they're thinking, this is because of what we did 
to our brother. Can you imagine living with that type of secrecy from your father, bearing that secret so deep that you don't think about it or even breathe thought of it, the guilt and the shame, the bondage that they lived in, not knowing what really happened to their younger brother. But God was at work, even in their guilt and in their shame. We continue on in the story where Simeon, again, was taken as ransom and held in prison until the the brothers returned with the youngest brother, Benjamin. And Joseph ordered his men to fill their sacks with grain and replace their silver, the money they brought to buy grain, replace their silver back in each bag. And when they get home and they unpack their bags and, and find the grain, they all, to their dismay, find the silver and they all begin to panic. And so... After a little bit of time and the grain runs out, they have to go back to Egypt to buy more, but they do not go back without Benjamin. They need to bring Benjamin in order to get Simeon back and order to prove that they were not spies. And so these 10 brothers, now including Benjamin, minus Simeon, who is in prison, return to Egypt to, to return the first payment. They bring the first payment to get their brother to buy more grain. Joseph then hosts them. And, uh, and instructs his att- and, and, and has reunited them back with Simeon with their brothers, and he instructs his attendant to fill their sacks with silver and with, with grain, and to put his silver cup into Benjamin's bag. And as they were heading home to Canaan, Joseph's men catch up to the brothers on the journey home, and say, "Hey, the cup, the silver cup, has been missing," and they have this whole. Uh, Kind of, we didn't take the cup, and Judah's like, we never took the cup, test anybody's man. If whatever bag you find it in, that person will be your servant for life. And they all agree to that, and they open up the bag, and they see it in Benjamin's bag, and which causes all of the brothers to mourn in disbelief. The brothers are then brought back before Joseph, and here they begin to plead for mercy. I, this is a lot of story that I'm trying to put up in context, but here's where we get to the moment that I want to camp on today. In Genesis 41, I mean 45, we read this story, and starting in verse 1, it says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, those outside of the courtroom, and Pharaoh's household even heard about it. Like this, the news spread. Joseph was weeping uncontrollably, but his brothers were not able, and and then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? As you can imagine, his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence, trying to process what is going on. And then Joseph said to his brothers, here it is, come close to me. Come come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed. Do do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God has sent me 
ahead of you, to preserve you, and a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. And here we see in a story of brokenness and betrayal and hatred and murder and despair, in all of these things, we see the power of forgiveness. In this beautiful image where Joseph brings his family close, he brings his betrayers close, he brings his his offenders close, and he says, come close to me. And we see this beautiful image of forgiveness in the beginning stages of restoration. Here we see how Joseph is choosing to release forgiveness instead of harboring hatred and issuing revenge, which he could do with a snap of a finger. And so for the next couple minutes, I want to talk to you about what the Bible says about forgiveness. And then how can we do that? How can we actually be people who release forgiveness as God's faithful witnesses? The Bible says a lot about forgiveness. We're just going to be skimming the surface, but let's just jump right in. In Luke 17, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Here's what he says. Jesus says to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, meaning it's impossible not to be offended. This world is going to be full of offense. It's impossible not to stumble over offense. But woe to anyone whom they shall come. So what does he say? So he says, watch yourself. Be on guard, right? If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, correct them, let them know. And if they repent, what does he say? Forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times a day and seven times come back saying, I repent, what does he say? You must forgive them. Time out. It's hard enough we got to forgive them once. You're telling us we need to do this seven times? Not even just seven times. Seven times a day? And this is where the disciples sit back and they speak to Jesus and the apostle said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. Do you know that if you study the story of the apostles, the story of the disciples, and as Jesus sends them off two by two into the world, as they go and perform miracles, as they do signs and wonders, this is the only time the disciples ask Jesus to increase their faith. Because forgiving is hard. Every one of us know this, because every one of us right now have somebody in our mind that we have either just released forgiveness or we are trying to navigate how we do it or if we even want to do it or not. Because every one of us have been offended, right? We've stumbled. We, that's just part of the human experience. We have been offended by somebody. Somebody has hurt us. We live in a broken world where hurt people hurt people. We get offended. We are a people who are, are hurt. We, we stumble. And so there's always somebody we need, we, we need to release forgiveness towards, and we understand, every one of us understand how hard that is. But the Bible tells us four really biblical principles that we need to understand. And the first is this, is that forgiveness is freely given. Biblical forgiveness is freely given and freely received. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have grievances against someone, what do we do? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I'm so thankful that the Lord forgave me. Who am I to hold this to my 
self. See, our forgiveness costs us nothing, right? But it demands everything. It costs him everything. It demands us everything as we respond in following him. See, forgiveness isn't just a good idea to give when somebody deserves it, because who deserves it? Forgiveness is, is this thing that is freely received as a gift from God and should be freely given as a gift from God to others. I was thinking of this week, as I, I, in the summertime, I take pride in my lawn. I, I love a green grass. I love thick green grass. And so a lot of times I'm overseeding my lawn. And so I, I have two things. I have the one you wheel and I have the one that you spin. And what I do is I put my grass seed in there and I walk my yard and I spin my yard and I am scattering seed freely. I'm just walking around and I'm scattering seed free, and it is going everywhere. And it's also hitting me. It's in my shoes. It's always in my socks. I got to pick seeds out of my pants. Like, you know, they get stuck to you. But that's what forgiveness needs to be. It needs to, we need to release forgiveness freely, even to ourselves. It needs to hit us too. We need to be able to forgive ourselves as God has forgiven us. Secondly, we see that forgiveness is rejecting our right for payment. Rejecting our right for payment, Hebrews 9.22 says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Means there is a cost that needs to be paid. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So here's what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't minimizing the offense and the pain it caused. It's not overlooking it. It's not treating it as trite or trivial. We understand that a debt was made. A debt has to be paid. Somebody has got to pay for the debt of, of hurt that has been offended, that has been offered. But here's what forgiveness is saying. Forgiveness is saying, I'm choosing to absorb the debt. Forgiveness is saying, I'm choosing to wash it clean. I'm choosing to cover it, as Hebrews tells it, with blood. I'm choosing to say, no, 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 I'm going to wash it away. This is what Jesus did for all of us when he died on the cross. His blood covered our debt. He chose, he chose to absorb our debt. Jesus reinforces this principle through the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. We don't have time to go through, through it, but he tells the story of a servant who was forgiven this massive unrepayable debt only then to refuse forgiveness to another servant who owed a relatively small amount of debt. And Jesus says that just doesn't work in God's kingdom. That is not how you become a faithful witness. Pastor Timothy Keller wrote this. He says forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. Forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering, meaning I am choosing to suffer temporarily, to absorb the debt in order to resolve the relationship and resolve and restore my heart. Thirdly, we see that forgiveness is our pathway to healing. It's our pathway to healing. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You want to walk in healing? You want to walk in times of refreshing? Then you need to live in forgiveness. At times we believe that if we choose not to forgive, that eventually it'll just go away. You know, we just want to, hey, if I don't forgive, if I just ignore the issue, if I just look over it, it'll eventually just heal itself. It'll just go away. Sometimes I look at the engine light of my car with that same thing. The engine light comes on, I'm just going to ignore it. It'll just go away. That's not how it works. 
is an indication that something is not right. And unless you deal with it, and unless you address it, it will just get worse. Forgiveness is our pathway to healing. What is unforgiveness? Unforgiveness, can I be honest with you this morning, church? Unforgiveness is actually sin against God. To live in unforgiveness, you are actively sinning against God. It's only when you release it. It's only when you offer it back. It's only when you choose to say, I forgive and mean it, will you experience peace. Now, let me just have a distinction here. Important distinction. Forgiveness takes you. Restoration takes two. Meaning, you can offer forgiveness and release forgiveness to an offender and understand that the relationship is still broken and needs to go through restoration. And forgiveness it happens in a moment, but restoration takes time. Forgiveness is my response to you, but restoration is our response one to another. And here we see, I love the, there's in verse 42, so Genesis 42, verse 8, we see that Joseph remembered his dream. Remember that the, his brothers are bowing before him, and in this moment, 22 years later, Joseph actually remembers the dream when he was 16 or 17 years old when he had a dream that things would bow down to him. And here he remembers. And I started thinking about this. I started believing, and I do believe, that Joseph actually released forgiveness and embraced healing long before, long before he was restored back into relationship with his brothers. The story of Joseph, as you read through it, is not one of someone who harbors unforgiveness, but someone who chose, as hard as it is, to release forgiveness towards his brothers long before he was restored back into relationship with his brothers. But because he was able to release forgiveness, he was then able to be restored. Lastly, forgiveness, and probably this is the hardest principle, is actually a requirement for Christians. Forgiveness is a requirement for Christians. Matthew 6, 14, 15, this is Jesus saying, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. What? I thought God was a God of grace, that God covered all of our sins. Yes, he does, but there's a requirement on us and how we are going to live up to that, that gift of salvation. There's responsibility on our part. Forgiveness is at the very heart of Christianity. It is at the very heart of our following with Jesus. As Christians, as followers of Jesus who choose to go all in, we follow and imitate the ways and the words and the works of Jesus. And in doing so, we have to be, we must be people of forgiveness. Jesus is strong in this view of forgiveness. Scripture is strong in this view of forgiveness. And if we do not forgive others, we will not be forgiven. So how do we do that? How do we release Forgiveness, even in what seems like the darkest of situations. I think scripture gives us some four steps that I believe if we can lean into them. And again, this is not a one and done. Hear me now. This is not just like, 
you know, one-time thing. Sometimes this is an ongoing thing as we continue to submit ourselves to the work of God and the followership of Jesus. See, Joseph was mistreated by his brothers. I think that's an understatement. You know, he was hate, they hated him. They, they wanted to kill him. They sold him and they, they lied to their father about it and what happened to him. See, not many of us could ever respond the way Joseph did. Not many of us could respond the same way where he saw his brothers, he saw his accusers, he saw his offenders and welcomed them in and had them come close. We're like, oh, you come, cl- you come close. You know, we have that response, but not the come close response. See, even the slightest offense against us, many of us, we hold it so tightly to our chest, just looking for the opportunity to take revenge, right? Or at least just making the offender feel guilty by what they did, by just reminding them how wrong they were. We have statements like, you made the bed, you lie in it. You know, we we have other statements like, you reap what you sow, as if to somehow Christianize or justify our response or our hatred towards them for their offense. See, it's only then is our inner juristic uh, sense of ego ever appeased, but there is a different way. God calls us, Christ calls us to a different way as faithful witnesses. See, Joseph shows us some remarkable attributes, and one of the, that is so critically important in our Christian faith and is also painfully humbling is the act of releasing forgiveness. It starts with here. It starts with resolving to trust God. This is where it starts. It doesn't start with the other person. It doesn't even start with you. It starts with him. I got to resolve within my heart to trust God. Luke twenty two forty one. it says, Jesus withdrew about a throne's throw away beyond them. And this is in the Garden of Gethsemane before the night that he, on the night that he was betrayed. And he knelt down and he prayed and he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, meaning if I don't have to die tomorrow, if there's another way, I'd be gladly obey it. I'd gladly follow it. But he says this, yet not my will, but yours be done. He resolved to trust God's plan. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. See, if we're going to release forgiveness, if we're going to be people who release forgiveness, if we're going to be faithful witnesses who operate in this releasing of forgiveness, especially in the big things, then we need to stir our faith and resolve to trust in God and allow his strength to sustain us, allow his strength to support us. But you're like, yeah, 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 but you don't even know. You don't even know what they did to me. You don't even know how hard it was. You don't even know the depth and the despair that I had to walk through. And you're right, I I don't. I heard this story this week as I was preparing and studying of a young woman who was violently abducted and just violently abused in every possible way you can imagine in the darkest way possible and was remarkably and miraculously discovered about within 36 hours was rescued and was on the brink of her life with blood infusions and, and just healing her whole body had to be healed But this woman now fast forward is a professor at a Bible college and she is full of grace and she's full of mercy and she's full of love and she's full of light. And people look at her and they think, you are just too nice to be real. You are just too good to be genuine. There's got to be a fake. But the more they get to know her, the more they realize this is who she is. She's like the super Christian. 
And when they understand her story, they don't understand who she is because they have a reality of the type of person that that type of person actually becomes, someone who goes through that type of experience, who they actually become and the hatred and the hardship and the, the bitterness they live under. And when they ask her, when their students are asking her teacher, how did you get over it? How did you move beyond that? Here was her response. He said, it's not about what you're able to let go of, but who you're able to grab a hold of. It's not about what you're able to let go of, what you can get over, what you can muscle through it. It's who are you able to grab a hold of. And many of us in our darkest of moments, and many of us, maybe you're listening to right, you have been through the worst and the wickedness of humanity. And you're, asking, and you're hearing me say you need to forgive your accuser, and you're like, how do I do that? You don't do that in your own strength. It's impossible. I know that, but, but if we can resolve to trust God and realize that it's not about what I have to get rid of, but who can I grab a hold of, then maybe we'll begin to see the healing take place. This is not an elementary faith followership. This is not an introductory to Jesus. This is this is like followers, like 10.0. Like we, there's a lot we have to go through. It takes a lot of faith to work forgiveness, but it is possible. So first we need to do is we need to resolve to trust God. Second, we have to then release unconditional forgiveness. Release unconditional forgiveness. Here's Jesus. He is on the cross. Luke 22, uh, 23, 34. Jesus is on the cross. He is nailed to the cross. And what does he pray? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing and they divided the clothes and by casting lots. And here is the key word. The key word is unconditional. It's unconditional forgiveness. Here is Jesus releasing forgiveness into the world, not just to the future humanity, not just for you and I who will one day be recipients of God's great and amazing grace, but to the ones who are standing at the feet of the cross, the foot of the cross, scoffing him and, and slandering him and, and standing there with even the nails in their hand and the hammer and the abuse, and they had just tortured him, and he's God. He's praying, Father, forgive even them. Like, how? Just release unconditional, for, uh, unconditional forgiveness. We, but that's hard. I know it's hard, but here's why. We can do it because we have Jesus. In Hebrews 2, it says that's why Jesus had to enter into every detail of human life. Then, when he comes before God, when we come before God as our high priest, as he comes before God as our high priest to get rid of the people's sin, he would have already, what, experienced it all himself. He heard and experienced every hardship, every hurdle that we would have to cross, all the pain, all the testing, all the hurt, and would be able to help where help was needed. See, in our own strength, it is impossible. But with God, I believe all things are possible. Thirdly, we got to return good for evil. We got to return good for evil. Jesus answered them in Luke 23. He says, I tell you, today you'll be with me 
in paradise. Here are these two people who have done evil. And in the moment of his pain, Jesus was ministering to them. And here is a biblical principle you see all throughout Jesus' life. Even when evil strikes us, goodness and mercy should spring out of us. Even when evil strikes us, goodness and mercy should flow from us, spring from us. That's the faithful witness. That's what makes you and I different. That's what makes the story of Joseph so remarkable because all throughout the story of Joseph, you don't hear one moment where he is berating his brothers or belittling his brothers or complaining against God. He just continues to let grace and mercy and goodness and mercy spring out of him. And that's why his story resonates with us. Like, How can we be like that? We are curious. How do we become like that? You want to be a faithful witness? Then you need to respond differently than your coworkers who don't know Jesus in hardships. Because when most of us are struck, when evil strikes us, guess what comes out of us? It's evil venom in return. That's what's to be expected. But as followers of Jesus, when evil strikes Jesus says, goodness and mercy should spring out of you. You need to return good for evil. Romans 12, 17, he says, repay no one, no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave the wrath to God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but here it is, overcome evil with good. Let God be God. Do not take the seat of vengeance or judgment but allow evil to be overcome with good. This is our faithful witness, and it starts with resolving to trust God and releasing unconditional forgiveness. And lastly, we are called to rely on God to redeem. Rely on God to redeem. This is where time gets involved, right? It took Joseph 22 years for his story to be redeemed. The end is never the end. There's always a bigger picture that God is writing. There's always a bigger story that God is going to write. We see this in Luke 24. Jesus is saying, this is, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in, all, in his name in all nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, you are a witness to these things. You are a witness of the forgiveness of nations. You are, the forget, you are the witness of what it's like to live in the forgiveness of sins and to offer forgiveness for sins. You see, so when you looked at the cross, it didn't look like anything good could be redemptive or redeemed from it. But God is able to bring death from life. Imagine what he could do in your home. Imagine what he could do in your relationships if you allowed him. You see, not only can God redeem your story, not only God can redeem your story, here's what I, this is the beautiful story of God, is that he can actually redeem the story of your antagonizer. 
He can actually redeem the story of your offender. See, throughout the story of Joseph, there's this sub-story that's taking place, this supporting story of Judah. Judah is one of Joseph's older brothers. And it was Judah who convinced his brothers to kill his brothers and convinced his brothers to sell his brothers. It was Judah who was the antagonizer. We don't have a time to go through this whole story, but you see the progression if you read through the story, specifically in Genesis 38 and 39. You read the story of Judah, how Judah convinced his brothers to sell Joseph, and then God uses Tamar, which is a woman to humble Joseph. Joseph uh, Judah had two, three sons. His oldest son married a girl named Tamar. He died before they could have children, so it was on them to redeem Tamar. So the second oldest son needed to marry Tamar, but he died before they could have children. They needed a third son who was too young to be wed, and so Judah promised that Tamar could marry the youngest son at age, but it never happened. There's a long story. But God ended up using Tamar to humble Judah through the death of his children, but also through the response and the righteousness of Tamar. And here we see that something happened in Judah's life where he is humbled before God. Where Judah then guarantees, come on now, Judah, the one who sold his brother into slavery, now when they go back to Egypt the second time, is the one who guarantees the safety of Benjamin to his father Jacob. And so they go back, he puts his life on the line. He says, if we do not bring him back and set him before you, I will bear the blame my whole life. He's putting his life on the line. The same one who sold his, young, his other brother. Fast forward, when, Benjamin's, when the silver cup is found in Benjamin's bag, Judah, the one who sold Joseph. Imagine this, imagine this playing out. Your main accuser is laying his life down for your brother, the one who sold you 22 years earlier. Gen Judah offers offers his life in return for Benjamin. See, this is a beautiful story. Forgive us. Not only can God redeem your story, but God can redeem the story of your accuser, of your antagonizer, of your offender, if you let him. Mother Teresa, she said this. She said, people are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives, but be kind anyway. If, if you are honest and frank, people might cheat on you, but be honest and frank anyway. What you, when you, what you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight, but build anyway. Do good. Uh, the good you do today will People will often forget tomorrow, but do good anyway. Give the world the best you have. It may never be enough, but give your best anyway. You see, in the final analysis, when you stand before heaven, it is between you and your God. It was never about between you and them anyway. What a great reminder for us. Here's my question for you today. Who do you need to forgive anyway? Who do you need to forgive? 
Who are you struggling with? Who are you struggling to forgive today? What is holding you from letting it go? Will you resolve to trust God? Release unconditional forgiveness. Return good for evil and rely on God to redeem. See, church, this is how we remain a faithful witness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your story is alive, your word is alive, and it, it just it connects to our hearts at a very human level. And Lord, as every one of us, at the sound of my voice, let every one of us struggle with unforgiveness. We all do. In different seasons, in different situations, in different depths, but we all struggle with it. And God, I pray that we would be a people who receive forgiveness freely and release forgiveness freely. Lord, that we would be a people who recognize that forgiveness as followers of Jesus is not an option. It's not something we can opt out of as followers of Jesus, but something you've called us to live, to model as much as we've received. And so I pray for my friends today, whatever situation they find themselves in, with whatever person is on their heart, that right now you are speaking and you are repeating. There's, there's people right now you are, you're placing on our hearts and our minds. Those people, God, I pray you give us opportunity right now to release forgiveness, to trust you, to resolve to trust you, to release forgiveness, to return good for evil, and to rely on you to redeem. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, I hope that message was an encouragement to you today. I want to challenge you to stay tuned and take a listen to Sunday Encore, where we have a more candid conversation about the practical application of Sunday's message.